Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. One thing that all of us have in common as single moms is the fact that we have experienced some kind of trauma, and so have our kids. And the ways that our kids respond to trauma can be really heartbreaking and it can be frightening. Sometimes they may be throwing big tantrums or if you've got older kids, sometimes they may be engaging in really dangerous behaviors. And knowing exactly how to handle that isn't always the most clear. I'm joined in this conversation by Sherilyn Orr, and Sherilyn is here to talk about parenting strategies that can help our kids through these really difficult moments and that can ultimately lead to healing that is deeply rooted and can actually rewire their brains. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. One of the things that I really took away from this conversation with Sherilyn is the fact that When we see a behavior in our child, it's not necessarily a behavior problem as much as it is signaling to us a problem that's going on within our child's brain. But that when we understand how to approach that brain problem, we can parent in ways that are way more effective and just bring a sense of calm and peace into our home. Here's my conversation with Sherilyn Orr. Sherilyn, I am so glad to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with you. Sherilyn, this is a really critical conversation for myself, for this community of listeners, because every single one of us has experienced trauma and have children who either have experienced it or are experiencing it. And sometimes that causes our kids to behave in ways that are heartbreaking to us or are frightening, and we may not really know what to do. It doesn't seem always that the answers are really intuitive. So I wanted to know if you would start us off in this conversation by helping us to understand our role and how the ways that we do respond to our kids can be formative for them. Well, I'm excited about this uh, new brain research um, that has come out recently. It's it's not the way that I was raised. It's not the way that I went to teacher education. Um, But this new brain research is science. And it's giving me the ability to understand that 
I can have, I have the power to change my child's brain. So I feel like that's great news for parents who are struggling with children who've been through trauma or children who just, they just seem to have a hard time. Their behavior just seems just very difficult to manage. And so I think that's a really good news um, that we have uh, the ability and our reactions, our reactions can change our child's brain which gives me hope every single day when I, I work with some of my children who've experienced trauma. And, but I, I know that it's only in the context of connecting and a healthy relationship that the brain can change. And, and when the brain changes, it creates those new neural pathways. Um, so that's the good news. Um, but the challenging part for me is um, especially with my children who've ex uh, experienced trauma, it's like if you break your arm, how you react and how you respond to that broken arm will determine if that child, uh, if that child's arm will heal properly mm -hmm. or if that child will suffer consequences with a broken arm that wasn't mended properly for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so, because we know that trauma impacts the brain. But we know that uh, we can create new neural pathways and we can help to rewire the brain in the context of that healthy, connected re uh, relationship. Um, but it, it kind of all falls back in some ways um, on how I'm able to respond or react to my child. I really appreciate what you just said about this not necessarily being the way that many of us were taught that there are habits and patterns of reacting that may have been passed down to us that do make these situations worse. And that may seem to be sometimes the root of why these things get out of control in our households, because we're trying to apply these methods that really don't fit these situations. They don't fit what our kids need through the th just in the things that they're going through. And then on top of that, we've got our own trauma. So our own survival systems are kicking in, right? And so we are reacting in ways that maybe we know we don't want to, but we're not really sure how we can learn a new way or precisely what it is that our kids do need. But one of the things I absolutely loved about your book is this stoplight tool that there is an ability to assess where our kids are at, where we are at, and then rightly apply a new response that rather than making the break worse, as you just described, can lead towards healing. So would you talk about that tool for us and help us to understand what we do have available to us? Well, we have to, first of all, remember that the all behavior is communication. So when we see a behavior, that child is trying to communicate with us. And we know that um, this is not a behavior issue, which we originally always think about is like this child is doing this. This is a behavior issue, but it is actually a brain issue. And if we understand the brain a little bit, and I'm going to simplify that very simply in a second, is we can start to figure out what it is that my child needs. So um, the first thing I want to uh, kind of share is that the brain, the stoplight looks at the brain in three major parts. We know the brain is very complex, and uh, but uh, this is uh, three simple way. Uh, this is a way to look at it very simply. So when we look at the brainstem, which uh, in stoplight words is 
red brain. You know, we need to stop. If you think of the signals in a traffic light, this is signaling to you to stop um, because my child is in fight, flight, or freeze. And we all know what that looks like, a meltdown, a kid running out the door and slamming it, uh, you know, that uh, that frozen, they just stare at you and um, or they and, and you just feel like they're not really there. Um, but that's when we recognize that when that child is in that red brain state, you know, they're only using about 50% of their IQ actually. And uh, they need, what they need at that moment is to feel safe. And they need our response to, is to create that calm that, uh, and give them space um, and, uh, and, and just help them and speak to them in a way that creates that sense of safety for them. And then there is um, the middle part of their brain. So that's the brainstem, which is the bottom part of your brain, which we call red brain. You need to stop. The yellow brain is the kind of the middle part of your brain and it's the limbic system. And that's when our child is worried, it's frustrated, um, it's annoyed. Um, and we see a lot, a little bit of disrespect in that realm as well. And um, that's when our child has a need. It, their need when they're in yellow brain is they have an unmet need, an unsolved problem, or a lacking skill at that particular moment. And so if we look at that yellow brain, it's really saying, I need to be connected. I need to feel seen, heard, and valued because I, I'm struggling at this moment uh, and I have... I, I'm lacking some skills. And we know that challenging children are challenging because they don't have the skills not to be challenging from uh, that quote comes from Ross Green, but I love it. It, it helps to sum up that. Um, and, and so that's our yellow brain. And when yellow is a signal to be careful, be careful, be careful, that child is stressed, that child is not feeling sad at the moment, that child is worried, um, anxious, maybe even hungry or tired at that moment. It's like, how do we reach them with their unmet need, their unsolved problem or their lacking skills? And they're only using about 75% of their IQ at that point. And then there is the green brain, that's where we want everybody to live. Uh, that's your neocortex. That's when you can use your problem-solving part. That's the only part of your brain that you have a concept of empathy. This is where you could do critical thinking. And that child is happy, it's playful, it's focused, it's uh, getting along with others. It's, in a, it, it's, it, it's where we love our kids to be because that child at that point feels safe and secure. They feel seen, heard, and valued. And so when we look at that, uh, we know, I'll, I'll just give you a quick uh, example of that, uh, is a child who's uh, trying to learn a new skill that is developmentally appropriate. And it, actually, the same goes with for me, if I'm trying to learn something, um, if I try to uh, learn that skill, um, and I'm in green brain, and I'm happy, and I may be playing a game, and I may be talking, and I, I'm just really doing well, um, then it takes me about 12 or 15 times to learn that new skill. But that same skill, if my brain state is in red, it will take 350 to 400 times approximately to, to learn that. And, and my brain, when it's in red, cannot do critical thinking or problem solving. And so as a parent, you have to think, do I want to teach this to my child 12 or 15 times? Or do I want to teach them 350 to 400 times if they're in that fear brain state? And yellow and red brain are a fear red 
uh, brain state. The way you just broke that down, I think is so helpful because it's sort of like being able to diagnose and then treat and knowing exactly what I'm seeing in front of me and what is needed for that. So if I have a kid who is totally losing it, then I know it doesn't matter how many times that I try to reason with them. It's not what they need. That even though I might say, no, honey, you can do it. You can do it. Like that's not going to help them. That, that, that really is still, that's a space where they just, their brain can't absorb everything you're trying to even pour in at that point. And so to know, okay, red means calm. It means, Hey, let's stop. Let's get into this space of feeling calm. And sometimes I know with my kids, sometimes that means they want you there. And sometimes that means they need space. They need to know that they have the free space to go away and that you will be able to come back. But that looks different depending on the situation and all that kind of stuff. And those are the things that are a little trial and error about this. But it is one of those things that then seeing them move up into these other spaces of, okay, yellow, then where, you know, they might be whining and it's annoying to me. And I, again, want to just reason with them, like, you know, you know, stop whining, stop crying. It's like, none of that helps what they, what they're needing in that yellow is connection. And so that's that validation though, of the experience. And I think that's one of the things, even in my own trauma recovery experience of understanding the importance of that validation of feelings that, where this child is, is real to them. And it doesn't matter if it makes sense to me or not. <laughs> what matters is that they know that that is validated. And then we have the ability to move them through into green, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is kind of that stage then where you could coach. Like I'm all with the C's. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah, we've got yeah, yeah, calm, yeah. we've got connect and we've got coach where coach, yeah. my kid is happy. They know that I see them. They know that I'm with them and that I'm for them. Then I have the ability to say, well, let's try it this way. You know, or how do you think we could do this? And that, that their brain is fully online and has the ability to work through a problem. And I think, <laughs> interestingly enough, I think where you see a lot of this kind of stuff happen is with problem solving type situations. It is with homework. It is with chores. It is with things where what shouldn't elicit a meltdown inevitably is triggering a child's fear and insecurity of failure or of rejection, of abandonment, whatever it is that they are processing from the other traumatic things that they're going through, that this is where they're reliving that. And so where sometimes we can get so oriented on like, how do I get them back onto the task? This stoplight method is such a way of being able to push pause and to know precisely what's needed at any given moment. Said amazingly. (laughs) So so that's great. Yes, I I agree. Like all of these things, we can look for the signals and then we can speak the right language. Mm -hmm. I would say that there's a red language, there's a yellow language, and there's a a green language. And if you know those languages, then it makes it much easier um, to know how to respond instead of just reacting to their behavior. Yeah. Would you talk more to that as far as the different languages? The different languages, well, you got that red brain, you know, you got that child who feels very, very unsafe. So if you want to go in and I I know I used to do that, you want to talk to them about the problem. Like you should not be doing that. What are you doing? Uh, How could you be doing that? You know, like, and, and you want to 
get answers. You want to change behavior when their brain state isn't ready to um, to process. And it's not that they don't they they don't want to. They can't mm-hmm. do that. If you're in the wrong brain state, you can't. This is a brain issue and not a behavior issue. Mm-hmm. And when we can look at speaking yellow, it's I see you, I hear you, I care about you. I value you. And I think that is so important in in that yellow brain is to stop, to give that empathy, to be able to listen to their perspective of the situation. Mm -hmm. And it's not until I have that green child that I can actually move forward to actually coach them, do redos and help them Mm -hmm. um, to um, do critical thinking because that is the only brain state. So when we hear that verse in the Bible, train up a child, well, you can't really train anybody if they're in the yellow or red brain state. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I think that that is such a great way to look at this, that there is a training, but there's a connecting and there's a, that's where that healing and restorative thing happens. And I think though, one of the things that can be a struggle is if we are not also assessing this in ourselves, we're not really sure how to give our kids what they need because we are somewhat empty in what we need. And that's part of my, uh, my own journey that it was difficult for me to even understand how do I get what I need so that I can pour it out to my kids. But this is a tool that we can use so that we can actually respond to our own needs in healthy ways to receive healing as well. Would you talk about how we can use this tool and then what sort of things we might do to help ourselves through this recovery process also? Well, one of the statements we say a lot in Stoplight is the stoplight starts with me. Uh, It's like, I can't, this is not a program. This is not, this is a belief. This is how um, a philosophy. So this is how do I look at life? So I know that the stoplight starts with me, that if I'm in red, my whole household's in red. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the what science would call mirroring neurons is if you want your children to be happy, then then you need to stop and look in the mirror and say, what is happening with me? How am I reflecting that? So I know that I can take a, a green child who's playing and doing something. And all of a sudden I look and I suddenly realize that it's past bedtime and I go, my brain state goes to yellow or red. And then I start demanding things from them and their brain state will immediately go from yellow to red. So I can take a green child and make them red so instantly. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I can take a red child and actually help them get to green. So but it starts with me. If I'm in yellow bread, that brain or red brain, that's going to impact my child's brain state. So it's kind of like being on an airplane. You have to put that oxygen mask on first before you put it on your child. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you can't help anybody unless you are able to really take care of yourself. And, and so that means I need to start and look at what flips me to red. Like what, what are my own triggers? Do I need extra help? Do I need therapy to work through some of my own trauma so that I would be in better space to work with my kids? So I need to be doing a lot of self-evaluation, really analyzing how much of the day I spend in red and maybe what's happening around those moments that put me in red. Uh, What's happening? uh, when When am I in yellow? 
maybe it's because um, I'm staying up too late. That's that's a big one for me. Um, or I'm hungry or I'm dehydrated or I've got these un, these things in my mind that I can't uh, get, get out of my mind. Uh, you know, I need to look at how do I go forward with uh, uh, maybe uh, looking at how do I get myself to those green. But I also need to look how much of my day am I spending in green? And maybe some of you are saying uh, I, I'm not spending har- hardly at all in green. Maybe mm-hmm. I spend... of my time in yellow, maybe it's only 2% in green, but I want you to know that that is completely normal as a single mom. Mm. Um, You, you live life a lot in yellow and red because you have so much on your plate and you're trying to do so many things and you're trying to handle all these little people in your home and all of their big emotions. And, um, but I want you to, 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 to actually stop and look. And reflect because sometimes as as moms, we we focus on what we didn't do on how much we were in red and yellow. And those are good to say, you know, not to pour guilt on you because mm-hmm. we know that you're doing the best you can in the situation you're in. But maybe you can start to look at what can I do tomorrow to maybe uh, to take another ba- tiny baby steps towards those green moments. And what can I do in that? And have grace for yourself. You're not going to be perfect at this. It's a journey. But also uh, just help uh, look at, you know, and celebrate. When was I in green at today? And how did that impact uh, the, the little people around me or the big people around me? And, uh, and what, how did that feel for you? And sometimes we have to stop and find those moments. I really appreciate what you just said about the fact that it is normal for us as single moms to be often in yellow and red because it is heavy to have that be the temperature of the household and to feel like you're not cutting it, to feel like if it wasn't just me, we could be in green way more. We could have these moments of joy more often in our household. But I also appreciate what you said about we don't need to have blame about it or shame about it, that we can use this as a sort of like a marker at the mall. It's like you are here, you know, like this is where you're at right (laughs) now. Right. But that we do have some things that we can do to invite that joy into our lives and to spend even just a little bit more time each day in a green space. What are some habits or some rhythms or some routines that are really basic, really helpful that could just start to to shift the tide a little bit for us so that we have more of those green moments? Well, I think um, one of the big things is to help our child feel seen, heard and valued. Okay, Um, so I I think that's really important is to be able to um, reflect on that and recognize that uh, trauma is hard and it takes a long time to help a child feel safe. And especially if he's continually living in uh, that red brain uh, state and maybe there's situations around them that are really red. Um, So I I feel like. one of the ways to do that is, is stop and give yourself these few minutes and say five, 10, five. Mm-hmm. How can I do that in the course of a day to make my child feel seen, heard, and valued? And if they don't, if they're in red, all they're going to be doing is entirely focused on self-preservation. They won't care what you're doing. They won't care about what anybody else is saying. It's only about me. It's about my survival. 
And so that's why we want to rebuild that connection. And that's something simple that you could just start to make as a kind of a little goal that says, okay, how do I connect with my child for five minutes early in the morning when they first get out of bed? You know, often a habit is like you want to sleep as late as you can. And then it seems to be this crazy chaos in the morning and everybody out of bed, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, get this. And, you know, it's that um, just that feeling of yellow or red as you get out of bed. But I would encourage you to maybe um, move the clock a little bit and, and make your routine a little bit earlier so that you can start more in that green zone. And that, of mm. course, won't work unless you yourself are in green. So try to look at how do you get yourself to green for those first five minutes in the morning and, and just chat with your kid to find out what's happening in your day. Listen to them, make them feel seen, heard and valued. And again, 10 minutes at the end of the day, you know, after they've come home, you've been disconnected with them for like eight hours or 10 hours. Um, and when you pick them up, it's try to connect with them and hear about their day and listen to what their concerns are and maybe engage with them in a child led activity. Maybe they want to choose a game or choose a, something to do and just really make them feel that you are wanting to to connect with them and you care about them. And, um, and that's hard to do if you have multiple children. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me yeah. guess. <laughs> that's, that's not, but it, it's, it's, it, this is what we're the five, 10, five rule is, is really about the individual. It's, and then it's before they go to bed at night, how do we connect with them as a, as an individual? Maybe that's uh just scratch their back. Uh, I have a kid who loves their back scratched or, you know, rub their feet or just to hear about what their, their day is, or depending on the age, what's appropriate, sing a song. My older kids don't like to listen to me sing, but my little ones do. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't sing on tune, but that doesn't matter. They still love it anyways. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's really wise also that you mention us getting up that little bit earlier to start our day that we can start in the green. And I absolutely, I'm just like, I'm wired exactly the way that you said, as far as like, I'd like to just spend that little bit more time sleeping though, but that it knocks my entire rhythm off of my day. And I'm scrambling because I haven't started in the green. I haven't started where I need to be in order to set the tone for my household. And in this though, what that looked like for me was getting up maybe 20 minutes earlier to spend time with the Lord and read some scripture. And the benefits were, were multiplied because not only was I in the green and now I'm starting off my day with a full cup, but as I looked at the trajectory of my trauma healing, that was where I was calmed. That was where I was connected with. That was where I was coached. That's where God was doing all of these things to heal those places where I was needing these very same things that we're talking about giving to our kids. And where sometimes we feel perhaps like I have felt, you know, somewhat disempowered, like how am I supposed to get these things that I need that in those regular times in the morning, that was where a lot of that healing took root for me and could be things that I could carry through my day so that when my kids were really struggling, that I knew what it was like though for me to get recentered. I knew where my green was in that moment because I had practiced it earlier in the day. 
you know, and I've seen where not doing that, you know, just sometimes getting off of routines or people get sick or whatever. I, I see how much more difficult it is when that is not something that I'm doing to tend to my own needs. And though what is so great about this is that this is side by side. You know, we don't have to have like our whole lives figured out and be totally healed in order to bring our kids into this to to start to set the temperature of our homes and that though this pace is slow, we have the ability to do it simultaneously and some of that slowness it makes up for some of these, you know, it makes up for the mistakes, it makes up for the times that we don't get it right because we we have the benefit of lots of repetitions. Well, I, w- I would like to um, add to that in that 5-10-5 rule that we have for our kids and how we have to be in green. I think uh, the strength that I've had as well is uh, connecting. You know, it's like I've been disconnected with God, you know, in, in, in a tangible way, just like I've been disconnected with my kids all night. And then I reconnect with them first thing in the morning. And then we're disconnected during the day and I reconnect with them after school or before dinner. And then we're disconnected as we're all running around doing our homework and doing our things and chores and whatever else. And, and that we have that collection, that connection time just before we go to sleep. And, and if we look at our relationship with God, that is what over history we have seen with the, um, the early church, you know, they had the, the morning, evening, night prayers. And I, I feel like that has been my source of strength is mm-hmm. when I connect first inning in the morning, but then I connect intentionally with God. Yes, I have those little breath prayers throughout the day. God help me. God help me. God help me. <laughs> help me through this moment. That's right. um, but, it, but it's, um, but it's that, that intentional time to just kind of take that 10 minutes or that five minutes or just to, to really connect with God uh, intentionally throughout the day. Um, so I, I think it mirrors that. I was really excited uh, when I realized attachment theory and uh, how God works is the yes. same and how he wants to attach with us and how any relationship has to be intentional. Mm, I love what you just said, because one of the things that I believe about psychology is that it's explaining what God has designed or it attempts to just like any other type of science. And especially as you're talking about attachment theory, where we're talking about the secure bonds that a child forms with their parents, that this is a reparenting that this is God is doing with us that where we have had ruptures, whether that's with our own biological parents or with really other types of relationships where these things have not gotten so solid underneath us. And we have some difficulty in attaching and connecting that God can so perfectly heal that, that he can bring us into a secure attachment, secure relationship with him, that then we know how to do these things more instinctually with our kids. And I think that that is what's so just so beautiful about this is this really where we get to sit and be the child with God. You know, we just get to receive from him that where all of this may feel sometimes like, oh, that's really overwhelming. Like, how am I going to make time for this? Or how am I going to do this? That if nothing else, getting into a rhythm of being his child and receiving then shows us how we can teach our kids to do the same thing. Well, God is our 
perfect caregiver. Mm-hmm. He is the, the the model for everything that we we do with our children. He's intentional. He pursues us. He's unconditional. He's there for us. Um, and if we look at all the things that God is, it, it really um, helps us to be able to model our parenting after him as well. And that's what the stoplight approach does. Yeah. Uh, his his perspective is all about relationship. He wants that relationship with us. Mm-mm, that's so beautiful. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. Sherilyn, would you talk about a time perhaps, you could give us an example of how this looks lived out. Like, let's say, for example, we've got a child in front of us um, and this can work at any age level. So whether you have a younger one who is, is throwing a fit or whether you've got a teenager who is slamming doors or cursing or those types of things, take us through a scenario where we are actually walking our kid through this process and how that looks. Well, I'll, I'll use an example that probably most of us have experienced is our child coming home from school. You know, when they walk in that door, you know, you can almost tell the moment they come in that door, you know, the slam of the backpack and they, you know, all of a sudden they hit their sibling and, you know, like you, you just feel this tension and all of a sudden, you know, in one situation, you know, the crayons are just thrown to the floor and, and you just kind of go, whoa, what's going on here? And, and, you know, the first thing I have to do, it really comes back to stoplight starts with me. I have to take a deep breath because that mama bear in you goes, wait a second, you just hit your sibling. Wait a second, you just mm-hmm. threw these uh, crayons on the floor. What is going on? You need to stop that right now. You know, my brain state can easily flip into yellow and it could easily flip into red. And uh, because I feel that self-preservation, I need to preserve myself and I have to preserve my other children and situation. But that's where I need to, first of all, it starts with me. I need to create a gap. I need to go, okay, I need to take a deep breath. I need to um, deal, uh, respond to this, not because this is not about me. As soon as I make a behavior about me, then that puts me into yellow and brain, mm. uh, yellow brain or red brain. I need to stop and take a deep breath and say, okay, what brain state am I in? And take a deep breath and say, okay, I, I've got control of myself here. Uh, what brain state is my child in? He's in red. So what do we do? Um, and, um, in our home, um, we've already had a green plan put together while the child was in green. Like, what do you like to do when you are stressed, when you feel like you can't cope? So we, we like to create that green plan while they're in green, not mm-hmm. when they're in yellow or red because they can't access their brain capacity at that point. And so maybe I know that there's certain things that helps to calm this child. And I, I at that point, I'll just say, hey, you're going into red right now. Why don't you go uh, and sit in the hammock for a few minutes? Or uh, why don't you go and on the swing? And for this child, it was um, 
she liked the swing. So I just said, why don't you go out on the swing for a bit? Because you're in red right now. And let's see if we can get you back up. And and I know that child loves smoothies. So what did I do? I went to the kitchen and I left the crayons on the floor. Um, I made sure the other child was fine and uh, recouped with them. But I went to the kitchen and uh, made a smoothie. And while I was making a smoothie, I brought it back out and I called the child in um, to come and share it with me. And it had been, you know, probably 10 or 15 minutes at this point. And I had saw by the way the child was swinging, because often if they're in really red, they're swinging in a very harsh way or they just feel it. But I could see that the body language was telling me that she was getting at least to the beginning of a yellow. So I brought her back in and we were able to talk over a smoothie and, uh, I found out that so-and-so had said this at school today and so-and-so had done this. And, and she was just, she didn't feel heard from the teacher. The teacher got mm-hmm. angry with her and uh, she had reacted and then she had gotten in trouble. And so by the end of the day, she had all these stories that have happened during the day. And I was able to just listen to her. And then I was able to make her feel seen, heard and valued. And then I was able to connect with her at that point. Um, And then of course, so that would have been that connection piece. So we went from calming to connection and then coaching. When I had that child back, we finished our smoothies. We were, uh, I said, you know, how should we have handled this situation? How could you handle it differently? So we talked about some strategies for next time, but we also had to repair fix it, treasure it, change it. You had to uh, look at how do you uh, apologize to your sibling? How do you value them? And how do you uh, repair the damage that's been done? Like pick up the markers and write an apology note to your sibling showing that you value them as a human being. And then talk about where are we going from there? So it, it, it really boils down to we can't come out of red unless we feel safe and our brain needs a sense of calming. We can't come out of yellow unless we feel connected and we need to feel and we have and our unmet needs are met. Our unsolved problems are lacking skills uh, or our unmet needs. So that smoothie was like, OK, that's that's that food going into her, that connection of me spending time and then looking at those unsolved problems Um, because we can't move out of yellow until we kind of have a sense of that. And now we're in green. That's when we can fix it, uh, treasure it, change it. That's when we can kind of look at that coaching of Mm -hmm. where, what, what can we do to repair the damage and what can we do next time? So that comes only in green and often parents make the mistake of trying to do that when a kid's brain state is yellow or they try to make a, uh, uh, you know, say sorry to your brother. Well, the kid has no capacity for any empathy or listening to anybody else's perspective. So they just say sorry, but they don't Mm -hmm. mean a thing of what they said. And you actually haven't taught your child the skills, those lacking skills that they were missing, sending them to time out or doing them other things isn't actually teaching a child the skill set that they're missing at that moment. Mm. And so that's why I always go back to what it, what skill do I need to teach this child right now? The skill may be, you know, learning how to handle those big emotions when they come into school, learning how to repair, how to um, think through different things. So I think this is uh, just one, um, one example, I mean, of how I would use it in my home. Hmm. I think you just pointed out also a lot of the difficulty we have with 
disciplining in that we may realize like our kid doesn't really want to apologize. Like they are not grasping (laughs) what just happened, but in that we're somewhat skipping the step because we got to meet them where they're at first and demonstrate empathy for them in what they are going through so that then they have the click of, of their brain where they're moving up to the green, where they're able to turn that experience around and practice it towards whomever that they've wronged. And that over time though, this is also the development of some skills. And you're right. You know, if I'm, if I'm just sticking you in timeout or I'm just taking things away or that sort of thing, I'm not ever getting to the point where I'm able to teach you something that you're going to be able to change this behavior long-term in the future. And I think that's just one of the things that feels really defeating in parenting alone is just this sense of like, not only is this, this not working, but it's just not getting in. And what you're, you're talking about though, is the reasons why it doesn't get in and what just slowing down though, And I think this is the thing that I've just really grabbed onto in the last several um, years is the fact that, yes, like the slowing down is, it takes more time, but it's the thing that over the long term, taking that time, like we're never going to get there if we take the shortcut, like the shortcut is always going to bring us back around to the repetition of doing it again. Right. But if we just slow down and take the time that it can be really effectual. Yeah, it's long term parenting. You know, it's not it's not looking for those really immediate results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I wanna I wanna talk about that a little bit more because I think a lot of us were raised with behavior modification type parenting, which is very obedience-based. It is requiring a specific outcome at a specific time. And so this sort of parenting technique can seem to be permissive. It can seem to be on the surface, like, are you not just letting them get away with this? You know, (laughs) that sort of thing. But that the fear punishment based parenting is, is really missing the heart of things. And that what we're talking about is something that addresses the heart with it. Can you talk also more to some of those differences between some of that more fear compliance type parenting and what we're talking about today? Well, behavior modification is how we were raised um, and our school systems run like that often. And it's all about uh, the focus is on behavior. Follow the rules. You need to obey. You need to work hard. And that is the essence of um what our expectations are, follow the rules. You know the rule, what's the rule? And we base that uh, concept by looking at the response to that. If you don't obey the rules and you don't um, do what you're told, then you will either um, get a, you will get a punishment and that's usually, you know, anything uh, fear-based, you know, threats, uh, taking away privileges, timeouts, whatever. So on the flip side of that is we often throw rewards into there. If you do obey, we will give you rewards. The carrot and the stick kind of concept is we have to control you um, and um, to get the task done. Mm -hmm. And so the outcome is if you obey, then um, you get the, the reward of even my, the 
my relationship with you, my connection with you. If you don't obey, then you go time out. And when you're willing to obey, then you could have my connection. Where stoplight changes the equation. So we start with connection. Mm-hmm. We start with that relationship. So uh, the 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 be, uh, the child, the relationship trumps the behavior that we're seeing at that particular moment. And so we we look at that child through the the eyes of brain science, red, yellow, green, and we say, what what does my child need right now? Mm-hmm. Because if I and we say if I can change the brain, then I can change the behavior. Mm -hmm. And that comes in the context of a relationship. So the outcome is, uh, so we speak, we calm, we uh, connect and we coach our child. And then the outcome is the behavior that we were uh, looking for because it's the outcome of a relationship. And I think that is the same with our relationship with God. When God looks at us, he doesn't want us just to blindly obey him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not looking for blind obedience. Um, What he's looking for is he's looking for our heart. He's looking for that relationship with us. And when God looks at us and and, and it mirrors the stoplight. So when he looks at us, he says, he puts safety first. He says, Mm -hmm. come to me. He says, I am your refuge. Mm -hmm. I am your safety. And then he puts connection there. He says, I delight in you. Um, just as you are, not as you want to be, not as you should be, not as you could be. He says, I delight in you. I sing over you. You see that um, in Zephaniah. And then you look at the third point, he says, because he knows that that we can't do anything if we're not safe, if we're not connected. And then he says, I am with you always. And that means he's going to coach us. He's going to train us Mm -hmm. and he's going to walk with us. So he's not going to leave us in our mess, in our anger, in our hurt, in our loneliness, in our bitterness, in our um, pornography, whatever our issues, our addictions that we have, he's not going to leave us there. And he is going to work with us, but it's only in the context of this beautiful relationship mm-hmm. of being safe and being valued, then we can, he can work with us. And I think that mirrors exactly what brain science is saying. I 100% agree. I think that, you know, even if we look at maybe experiences that we've had, faith experiences that have been difficult for us, me personally growing up with some more legalistic type tendencies, you know, that it's no surprise then, you know, that many of us were raised with this sort of obedience compliance type of experience and that we would then view God the same way. And that sometimes the faith traditions that we grow up in validate that. And so then we are afraid to come to God and we don't trust him. We don't know if he's for us. We know he loves us, but does he really like us? You know, we have all these questions, right? But that in really examining who he says he is and really being willing to put that part aside, those those negative experiences, to put that aside and say, I want you to show me something true. I want you to show me who you really are. I 100% have seen this kindness, this tenderness. And that's what Psalm 103 talks about God as a father, that he's tender and compassionate, you know, that wherever we have had 
wrong ideas of who God is and however they got there, he can still write them for us, that we have the ability in ourselves to know what it is to be a valued child and then to to model that in our own households. And again, this is just one of those things that I think it's stunning when science can show us really what the Bible already knows, you know, um, and, and just, but just how transformational it can be to allow the Lord to work on us and in us to just bring something completely new into our lives and that he can use our brokenness and our messiness to do it. But he will use our messiness and our brokenness to do it. This is not like, oh, maybe he'll show up. Maybe he won't. Like, no, this is what he specializes in. And that that's what the Bible is showing us through all the various accounts. These aren't just a bunch of random stories that these each display his character for us so that we can know that's who he is to us, too. And when we feel alone and uh, and just so far from being the perfect mom that we want to be, uh, he says, I love you. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you just as you are. And I'm here for you. And I will walk with you. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful reminder. Sharon Lynn, when it comes to managing the ongoing traumatic situations, the things that we may continue to face, whether that is perhaps pick up and drop offs, whether that is a parent, another parent who's maybe not very available, maybe isn't in the picture at all. You know, some of these things that are just really difficult and can continue to trigger our kids. How can we manage some of that ongoing difficulty and uh, just, you know, keep that temperature of the household in green as much, as best we can? That is really, really hard. <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's how do you, um, living in green when surrounded by red, mm -hmm. that is just the hardest thing. And, you know, we know that even if we have one child at our home that's red, it influences everybody and it can change the temperature. And how do we live in green when we're surrounded by uh, red? And that's, that's hard. It's, it's, it's not an easy task. Um, so I think first thing is you need to stop. You need to just kind of slow down and uh, simplify your life and uh, redefine success. I, I really like that concept of redefining success. So what does it mean to redefine success? You know, give yourself some grace. Put fewer expectations on yourself. You know, you know, your child doesn't have to be in every single program out there, you know, have and your child needs space. Put yourself on some sort of uh, routine. So you have a schedule. Uh, so you're eating more regularly. You're getting yourself exercise because um, that will all help your brain uh, calm down and be able to stay in that green space and get enough sleep. Um, and say no more often. That's a hard thing to do, but you know, try to say no to more expectations. And I think the one other thing that we sometimes forget is gratitude, because gratitude changes the brain. But I think as, as a mom, sometimes it's easy to always focus on the negative. 
you know, you see, like you write the list of things at the end of night, you know, even in your brain, as you lie there in bed and you think, oh, I'm crap. I failed at this. I'm crap. I failed at this. I did 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 this. You know, all these things that you did wrong or you didn't get to, or you should have done. I should have done this. I should have done this. I should have done this. And we heap this sense of guilt on us. So I want you to throw away that list Mm. (laughs) and don't even enter it. Otherwise you just get into a hamster wheel and you just spiral downwards. You start looking at yourself negatively and your children and everybody else. But I I want you to, to start training your brain to see the good. And it might be just sometimes maybe it's only moments through the day. Maybe you have to look at things like the sunshine Or what was one thing maybe your child did? Or what was something, maybe it was just a moment that you did really well today. Celebrate the small successes. Pat yourself on the back and just kind of write them down. Keep a gratitude journal of something that somebody said to you. Maybe something they encouraged you with that day or a little note. Just start to focus on that. Focus on God's goodness. Focus on that whatever that you can find in your life that that is good, that you have a house to sleep in. Um, but uh, just if, if you start focusing on the negative, on what's not being done, you're going to spiral to yellow and red. Um, so if you want to say in green, you need to be focusing on what is good. And the other thing is um, often we, we, we want our child to feel loved, Right. But if we're in yellow or red, they're not going to feel it. So I I would just encourage you to really work hard, even though you are living in a very red situation, to find moments, like the tiny baby steps to look at, say, how can I have a green moment today? And maybe even celebrate it with your kids, write it on the fridge and say our green moments and get all the kids to write little notes about Mm -hmm. what their green moment was that day. And even as you sit around the table, talk about the green moment of the day. Mm, Those are very practical steps. And I think those are things that we can start even right today. And I appreciate the encouragement to lower expectations and really to put boundaries around our time and what we even require of ourselves. I think there's a lot of tendency, I know this is true for me, but into to wanting to overcompensate and to say, well, if this is my situation, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, let it get me down. I'm gonna look like just every other mom, you know. And there, the fact of the matter is, like, I'm not. <laughs> but where that can heap up, you know, sometimes a sense of like, oh, I'm missing out, or oh, I'm not doing it right, or oh, I could do it differently if it wasn't just me, or you know, all of that. It actually becomes an opportunity for practicing compassion in receiving it from God and giving it to ourselves and saying, you know what, I only have him that I'm accountable to ultimately. And if it pleases him for us to slow down and for us to be sensitive to him working in our lives and for us to care for one another and to exchange shalom, you know, in the situation that's very unshalom, like (laughs) that, what that, leads then into the experience of acceptance and where that gratitude really can flow more freely to say, you know, here were those, those peaceful or joyful moments that we had today. And it came actually from us saying no to something else. 
that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. That's very hard to do. But if we're intentional, then we can. And we pray and we ask God for strength in that, because sometimes that goes against the grain of what everybody else is doing. Yes, that's true. That's true. Sherilyn, I have so appreciated all of your insights and your guidance in this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? You're not alone. You're not alone. God is, God is with you. And he sees your pool of tears and he wants to join you there. And his tears join yours. And the stoplight is a journey. You're not going to wake up one morning going from a very red parent to being a very green parent. It's a journey. And, uh, and celebrate the successes along the way. And God will help you to take the next step to help you get to green. Mm, thank you so very much for that. Sherilyn, will you tell listeners about your new book and how they can follow along? Our new book is being published by, uh, has been published by Focus on the Family, and it is being released on the 19th of July, but it's available right now on pre-order on Amazon. And if you pre-order and email your receipt to focus at Tyndale.com, you will receive a free gift of an audiobook version of Signals ahead of its release. And also um, check us out on the website is uh uh, the stoplightapproach.org. Uh, we have a website and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as the stoplight approach. And we also have just recently started to put a stoplight uh, podcast together. Fantastic. I'm really excited about that. And I will include links in the show notes so that listeners can find all those resources. If you're listening, this is a must read, go get it. <laughs> but Sherilyn, I just want to thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate all your work you're doing. If you enjoyed this conversation, I would also suggest episode 123, Anger and Acting Out, Parenting Strategies for a Difficult, Defiant Child with Kimball Lewis. Also, check out episode 88, Anxiety in Our Kids, Identifying Worry and Giving Your Child the Tools to Thrive with Sissy Goff. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plus1.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.